The push to cancel the rent and the social failures behind the COVID-19 death toll. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Jarrett, how are you doing? I am. Uh, I'm getting through, Ben. How about you? Uh, yeah, the same. Uh, you know, it's sort of um, you know feeling lucky to so far be fa- uh, fairly unscathed here, uh, and uh, you know, sort of struggling a little bit with the toll that, of course, this uh, virus and this outbreak are taking on all of our neighbors in New York City and beyond, um, and you know trying to push forward with um, important news and coverage of what's going on and and strike a balance of informing people and also, you know, holding officials accountable and, you know, continuing to wrestle with this question of uh, how much to evaluate, um, you know, sort of our, our leaders' efforts um, as this is still unfolding. Uh, and so, um, you know, trying to trying to take it all in and, and make the most sense of it as uh, as possible. So uh, while we work to get Jarrett back on the line here, I'll let you know what's coming up on today's show. I'm sure uh, or I'm hopeful that uh, Reggie, who's our engineer and always doing great work uh, and has really done an amazing job shifting us to this remote situation, uh, will hopefully get this figured out shortly. And Jarrett will be back on the line. We've had a a few pretty seamless weeks here as we stop going into the studio uh, at least Jared and I, and, you know, they're at WBI really reducing, um, you know, significantly the number of people who travel in. So we'll get Jared hopefully back in the line soon, but to let you know, we have a great, another great show coming up today with, uh, two really interesting guests to discuss a variety of aspects of the, the crisis we're facing and the path ahead. So at five ten, we are going to hear from state Senator Michael Janaris of Queens, uh, return guests, the show, of course, for those who've been listening all along, know that uh, Senator Janaris has been with us before. And not only is he a state Senator from Queens, but he's of course the deputy majority leader of the state Senate second in charge there of the majority conference Democrats. Um, and Senator Janaris has been leading a charge um, on what is being called the cancel rent movement. And this is where he introduced a bill in late March to uh, to cancel to suspend rent payments for 90 days for those who've been uh, financially impacted by the coronavirus crisis and its fallout. So we will talk to Senator Janaris about that bill uh, to forgive rent for 90 days for folks who've lost a significant amount of income due to the coronavirus fallout. We'll also talk to Senator Janaris um, about other matters in front of him and the state legislature and really the big question of whether the state legislature will do any more business in Albany or even remotely this year. You know, Governor Cuomo has, of course, been leading New York's uh, coronavirus response and the legislature granted him some additional emergency powers and funds to do so. And the legislature worked with Governor Cuomo to come to a state budget agreement uh, just after the April 1st deadline for the new fiscal year. And so one of the big questions is whether the state legislature will uh, will meet it all again to pass any legislation, to work with the governor to make budget adjustments. Um, a lot of questions hanging in the air about the status of the legislature. And then all uh, members of both the state Senate and the Assembly, over 200 members, are up for election this year. For those who are seeking re-election, which is most of them, they will be either uh, on the primary ballot in June and or the general election ballot in November. So uh, elections are coming up 
hopefully they will continue on. The governor passed an executive issued an executive order to expand absentee balloting. So we'll talk to Senator Janaris possibly about that as well. And one of the issues that Senator Janaris has been uh, at the forefront on is bail reform. And we will get his insights onto into the compromise that was reached in this new state budget that rolled back some of the bail reform that was passed last year. His Senate Democratic Conference, along with Governor Cuomo, was most interested in some of those changes to the bail reform, even though Senator Gennaris himself uh, was has been sort of more on the progressive wing of the push for bail reform. So it'll be interesting to hear from him as he's had to balance his own personal views and, and thoughts on what that legislation should look like and what his conference uh, has wanted to do. So coming up soon, Senator Michael Gennaris of Queens on several important issues. And then later in the show at about 5.30, we will be joined by Dr. Mary Bassett, who is the former New York City Health Commissioner. She left in 2018 after several years as Mayor Bill de Blasio's appointed health commissioner. She's now the director director of the FXB Center for Health and Human Rights at Harvard University. So she's up in Massachusetts. She's working on uh, health and equity issues there. We will get Dr. Bassett's insights really into the scope of the coronavirus uh, outbreak, what what systems were and weren't in place, what has worked and hasn't worked, what we still don't know about the virus. We want to talk to Dr. Bassett, too, about the variety of social and institutional inequities that exist that the virus and and the economic fallout, of course, add on to and exacerbate and her insights into what needs to happen uh, moving forward. And then even in the post coronavirus world, what what this outbreak and this crisis has really shown us about what needs to happen in the future to prepare for anything like this um, and also to sort of fix some of the underlying structural issues that lead to, for example, the disproportionate racial and ethnic impact that we've seen of the virus uh, in New York City and elsewhere. And we want to talk to Dr. Bassett, too, uh, about her experience leading the New York City Health Department when the city faced an Ebola scare, when the city faced an outbreak of uh, outbreak of Legionnaires disease, she was at the helm of the city health department when both those things happened during her tenure in the de Blasio administration. So we want to get a little bit of her perspective on how the city handled Ebola, how the city handled Legionnaires and how the city is handling COVID-19. So coming up at 530, uh, make sure to stick around is Dr. Mary Bassett. Uh, Coming up very shortly here, we're going to be talking to State Senator Michael Janaris of Queens, the Deputy Majority Leader. And I think we have Jarrett back on the line. Jarrett, can you hear me? I can, Ben. Very good. Oh, you're I'm sorry about that, but you handled that. You handled that very well. Clear uh, as really... day. Uh, so glad, glad you're running back, back uh, up here. I was just giving a good lengthy overview preview of the show that we have coming up, and we'll be joined by Senator Janaris in mere moments. Um, but, but anyway, back to you. Um, I think some of your initial thoughts there got cut off. Um, so as we as we sit here on April fifteenth, uh, and we're going to talk to Senator Janaris and Dr. Bassett coming up. But um, anything particularly on your mind here as we are really in the thick of this crisis, you know, potentially at something of a plateau, but again, plateauing at a really, um, really horrible, terrible place. 
just an incredibly high level. I don't think anybody would have expected that, you know, we would have gotten to the 65, 6,600 deaths that the city has confirmed are linked to COVID. And now, of course, we're talking about a much higher death toll, really close to 11,000 cases in which COVID is either the confirmed cause or the very likely one. Uh, the scope of that is simply extraordinary. And I think, you know, we obviously are talking now about different facets of uh, what fed this crisis, obviously social factors, the question of what to do with some of the economic implications of it, like talking about handling rent by perhaps a cancellation of rent. Um, and all of that is incredibly important. But obviously, none of that takes away from the scale of the impact of, of this disease. I mean, sometimes the size of New York City has the ability of dwarfing uh, stories like this, just the numbers of people who live here and therefore the number of events that occur. But roughly 58, 59,000 people die in New York City every year of every cause. And for roughly 11,000 people to have already succumbed uh, by one measure or another within just the city limits to COVID-19 is simply incredible and rivals really any other cause of death uh, over an entire year. And that's all been occurring over the past five or six weeks. It's it's simply an incredible. And I think um, it, it's going so fast that one almost has to force oneself to take a break and recognize the magnitude of what's of what's going on and the loss that people are suffering. Indeed. And, you know, one of the most startling things is that we have, um, you know, these these daily briefings from the mayor and the governor where, um, you know, there's conversation about the path to reopening the economy and reopening schools. And while we, while we really seem a long way away from any of that still at this point, um, you know, there's this sort of dichotomy going on where there's some relatively positive news that the, the, the toll is slowing down a little bit in terms of new hospitalizations, new intubations, governor Cuomo, even, announcing today that New York is able to send out 150 ventilators to other states that need them. You know, so sort of a remarkable turn of events in terms of how dire the picture was a couple of weeks ago. Um, But at the same time, Governor Cuomo also announcing today an additional 700 deaths yesterday related to uh, COVID-19. You know, this, the, the, the probable death toll, as you mentioned, being revealed for, from the city for the first time, which pushes the city's death toll well over 10,000. Um, just just horrible, horrible numbers uh, coming out. And all those numbers are, of course, real people with families. And that doesn't even get at, in many cases, the, the health care workers and people affected so directly by what's going on. Um, so we're still really deep into this um, this crisis and this tragedy. And, and meanwhile, you know, you have the mayor also announcing today expanded efforts to make sure that people are not going hungry. You know, there's there's a, a million tentacles to this thing that need to be uh, addressed. Well, exactly. And I think that discussion about how to come out of this and the plans to make to do that is, you know, it's been sort of broiling for a couple of weeks now. Governor Cuomo broached it uh, after some leaders in the business community did. And it's it, it does seem kind of uh, disconnected to the death toll and the other numbers. And I think 
part of the strategy of that is simply to give people a sense that there is there is a way out and there is a path for that. Um, I think probably because there's an assumption that if you don't provide that, people are going to stop complying with the orders to, to stay at home. At least Indeed, I think that's part of the strategy. Yeah, several things have to happen at the same time. Um, so, so we do have Senator Michael Gennaris on the line now, uh, and we're going to talk to him about a, a couple different key pieces of this whole equation. Uh, Senator Gennaris, thanks for joining us again here on WBAI. Hey, thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. So you are um, you are at the forefront here of a cancel rent uh, movement, and you have a bill to that effect. Uh, what are the key details of that legislative proposal? Well, look, we're all struggling to deal with, first and foremost, the health consequences of what's happening, and that's where our priority should be. But right behind that is the economic catastrophe that started crashing down on us uh, really a couple weeks ago now april 1st was the date a lot of people's uh, financial obligations came due and rent is the biggest of them uh, looking around i heard from thousands of people uh in new york many of whom i represent who were telling me they lost their jobs through no fault of their own the government effectively pulled the plug on the economy we had to do it for obvious reasons but we denied people their income stream and we're they continue to have their financial obligations accrue in the form of rent. And that doesn't make any sense at all. If government is telling people you can't work, you can't make money, these are people that live paycheck to paycheck and all of a sudden no longer have a paycheck, we cannot realistically expect them to continue to pay rent and other obligations in that time. So what I suggested was if we're going to freeze the economy, if we're going to freeze people's jobs, let's freeze their rent as well. So if you're not making money, if you lost a lot of income because of the shutdowns, you shouldn't have to be paying rent for that same 90-day period that the uh, mortgage moratorium and other uh, eviction moratorium and that sort of thing are, have been set up for. Um, and then we can also see what we can do for small homeowners who need that rent coming in by uh, deferring mortgage or forgiving mortgage payments for them. Uh, and then that'll help us soften the landing at the end of this three-month period because just to be clear, the rent is being canceled, whether we authorize it by law or not. There was a report that one-third of the rents across the entire nation weren't paid in April. Um, so we either can face a mass wave of evictions in 90 days, um, or we can set up some structure to make sure that people are safe and continue to have homes at a time when we're telling everyone they have to stay home anyway. Senator, talk about the mechanism for um, trying to, as you mentioned, uh, shield landlords from the impact of this, because obviously rent is is their income, and, and obviously when, when uh, proposals like this are floated, there's the concern from landlords that this would impair their ability to maintain buildings and pay staff and stuff. Is the state able to force banks to um, to write down mortgages by the amount of rent that the landlords might be, uh, that, that this might cost landlords? Is that is that a mechanism the state has the authority to, to enact? Well, you're asking the right question. Let's just take a step back for a second. So already there is in place a mortgage deferral program, both at, as a result of the governor's executive order and the federal uh, stimulus package included that um, for federally chartered banks. What we can do, we have the power to regulate um, agreements with state chartered banks. So if someone holds a mortgage with a New York state chartered bank, yes, we have the ability to go in and freeze those payments or ensure that those payments are forgiven for this time period. Um, already, landlords do have the ability to postpone those payments, defer them, 
Um, it depends on the bank and how they're interpreting the uh, the laws and the regulations. But I think most people believe that pushes the payment to the back end of the mortgage. So if you have a 10 years left on your mortgage, it would now be 10 years and three months because these three months would be shifted to the back end. So that is some form of relief, certainly in terms of cash flow, at least. The bill I uh, proposed includes straight up mortgage forgiveness for this three month period. We can only do that as it relates to people who have uh, mortgages with state chartered banks. And what are the sort of prospects for this bill? And I ask that not just in terms of the parapolitics of it, how much support you have and whether the governor will come along, but also in the context of the mechanism that uh, Albany has to use. I mean, obviously, this is not a normal year for, for politics or, or democratic action in any sense. So uh, what do you think the prospects are both for achieving the support you need and even just for getting the business of, of having the bill considered and potentially passed done given the constrictions that you all are working on under? Yeah, well, the momentum behind the bill is, is really amazing. Uh, it almost crashed our Senate website. It, was, it received the most um, uh, logons in support uh, of any bill in the history of the Senate website. Over 60,000 people logged on to show their support for it. Um, both Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders nationally have latched onto it and said this is something that needs to happen. So there's been a lot of uh, support growing for it, um, and that has spurred 22 of my colleagues to sign up as sponsors. So it it, it has gotten very far down the road uh, in terms of generating the support we need in the Senate, at least. Uh, even those who might not um, agree with the particular approach I'm suggesting also realize we have to do something on rent. So I have confidence that the Senate will act on rent and do something to protect tenants in this time. Um, and then we'll have to obviously discuss with our colleagues in the assembly and hopefully get something that gets enacted to provide relief. Uh, look, ideally, the federal government would just provide uh, for people's rent through uh, the next round of stimulus. I don't know if they're going to do that. I certainly don't want to sit around and wait for that to happen uh, while people are trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives. Um, so I want to see action taken now. I've asked the governor to do this by executive order since, as you pointed out, we're not in session at this point. Um, but we will be back uh, uh, in legislative session. Andrew Stewart-Cousins, our majority leader, has made that abundantly clear. We have mechani- mechanisms in place to do so remotely if necessary. Uh, we can do it the way we did it a couple of weeks ago when we passed the budget. We're only three or four of us were in the chamber, uh, and everyone else was participating remotely. So I'm not worried about the technical aspects of it. We, we have put in place rules that permit us to do what is necessary to continue to function um, and pass bills. Uh, it's just a matter of when we go back into session and what um, we were able to get the support to do. So, so two quick follows, follow-up uh, questions on that, Senator. One is um, when you say you're confident you'll do something on rent, what, what else is on the menu? I mean, you mean you mean something in terms of a, a timetable or even checks you know, from the state to those affected or, or what would be on that menu? That's one. And then two is – um, you did ask the governor to do this by executive order. What's Has he given you any response that he hasn't made publicly? Yeah, well, let me, let me answer your first question first. Uh, look, we as a conference, uh, of course, were the architects of the rent law reforms last year, so nobody cares more about tenants um, and helping them get by in a difficult time than the Senate Democrats. So as I mentioned, 22 of my colleagues have signed on to my bill. 
a number of others had some questions about it. Uh, I know Senator Kavanaugh has a, his own approach, which um, attempts to set up a fund to provide vouchers to pay, uh, make rental payments. There's different approaches that um, members in good conscience have who are all trying to get to the same goal. We just need to work out what's the best way to go forward and what we can get the support to do within our conference. But that's why I say I am confident we'll get somewhere on it. We just need to figure out exactly where we land. Um, as it relates to the governor, I have spoken to his top staff about it. They have um, indicated a, an appreciation of the problem and the depth of the problem. Uh, I'm encouraged by the fact that the governor initially um, was making statements uh, over a week ago that the eviction moratorium he established is sufficient because he has said no one can be evicted for a 90-day period. Um, but as uh, I continue to impress upon them, and I think questions from the media were coming to him about, well, what happens in 90 days if you're allowing the rent to accrue? It doesn't make any sense that someone who can't pay April's rent will suddenly be able to pay April, May, and June's rent all at once in July. Um, and so I think, I believe his last public statement was to the effect of, I re realize there's a problem. At the end of the 90 days, we'll see what else we need to do. So that was, uh, I, I'm hopeful that was a realization of the fact that we need to do more than just leave leave it at the 90-day eviction moratorium that, just quickly that that's when when he said that I, I heard him say that a couple of times when asked in his briefings i mean that struck me though as a little unrealistic to wait until the end of the 90 days do you agree with that i mean i don't i, I wholeheartedly it, agree that's that's why i'm asking it back faster um mm -hmm. but his initial answer was the eviction moratorium takes care of the problem and so for him to say that to recognize that that may not be enough is a good step we now just need him to realize that it needs to happen faster than that. Senator, you represent a portion of Queens, which obviously is the borough that has unfortunately so far recorded the most deaths from COVID-19. Uh, stepping back from the rent issue, how do you evaluate the leadership of Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio uh, in navigating this crisis so far? I mean, look, people can quibble about the timing, and I know there's been a lot written about whether we've acted fast enough to shut things down and I guess some uh, states on the west coast uh, had about a week's head start on us so uh, I'll, I'll leave that to others this is an unprecedented situation I can I would hope we can all agree that both the governor and the mayor are doing their best at an incredibly difficult time so I don't uh, have as much uh, uh, to to complain about as it relates to how they've handled the uh, the health consequences and trying to get our hands around what's happening here uh, what I do um, focus on, and I don't think we've done enough of, is dealing with the economic consequences of what we've done. Uh, and that's why I'm focused on rent. There were some troubles with the Department of Labor's policies um, as it related to requiring people to call in and people couldn't get through the lines. They've made some changes there. Hopefully that is making things better. Um, but, look, understandably, the health situation is top of the list as it should be. But not too far behind are the massive economic consequences we're laying at the feet of working people. And I don't think enough attention has been given to that uh, to this point, and that's where I'm focusing my energies. In these kinds of situations, historically, whether it's the Great Recession or the automobile industry's problems a few years back, the bailouts tend to go to the big boys at the top, the industry. The airline industry is now talking about a bailout. The automobile industry had one. The banking industry had one. Very rarely do those um, bailouts help the people at the bottom rungs of the economic ladder. I think our job should be to start there. That's why we're focusing on tenants, the unemployed. Let's try and help those people 
and shift the pain of this from the bottom to the top to the people who most likely will get benefit from federal policy anyway, um, so that we can at least make sure people are not left behind as they typically are. Um, and that's so what's, what's uh, on that menu besides besides the efforts on rent. What else is what else is on your agenda or the Senate Democrats' agenda as you eye taking more action to help people? Well, I think, uh, as I mentioned, making sure unemployment benefits get to people uh, expeditiously and people that um, maybe are slipping through the cracks. I represent a lot of freelancers, and there's questions about um, the assistance they may or may not be getting because you know they're defining you know whether or not they're unemployed when they may work from home normally becomes uh, a little bit technical. Um, but we want to make sure that there are people who are covered. We should be giving people a lot of room here and understand the, the seriousness of, of the situation. So when, you know, the, on the unemployment situation, requiring people to call in to prove that they're out of work is a bit harsh when everybody's out of work. And so we have an unprecedented number of unemployed people. Let's let people self-certify, and then we could go investigate, you know, if we think someone is actually um, not not being uh, honest with their uh, with their application, but to do it at the front end as was being done up until recently. And I do give uh, give credit for uh, a change in the policy. It took a little bit longer than I think most people would like. Um, th- there's there's a lack of realization that people are in need immediately. And so both with the eviction moratorium issue, which is you know let's let's worry about it in 90 days. Or what we were hearing a lot with the unemployment insurance is, don't worry, it'll be retroactive. Well, that's all well and good, but if someone doesn't have money today to buy food or to pay the rent when landlords are um, continuing to harass tenants to pay, that doesn't help them that many months from now they might see some money come their way. Uh, We need to provide immediate attention and relief to working people to help them get through this time. Um, we've we've got a few more minutes with you, but I want to make sure. Um, so Jarrett might jump back to to that topic at hand, but I want to make sure before we before we have to say goodbye that we talk about something that was done before um, you all passed uh, left Albany, and and when you passed the the state budget, the compromise that was reached on uh, changes to the bail reform law that passed last year, and this has been an issue that you've been out front on, um, and it seems like where your Senate Democratic Conference landed and the compromise that was reached uh, led by the Senate Democratic Conference and Governor Cuomo to to adjust those bail laws didn't really line up with your personal view and what you wanted to see. Can you can you go through a little bit about um, sort of your take on that and, and how you were able to um, navigate both being the, the deputy leader, but also someone who um, wasn't necessarily uh, supportive of, of rolling back some of these reforms? Yeah, your your assessment is spot on. That was a pretty fair way of looking at it. Um, I'm not thrilled with, uh, with any rollbacks, to be honest, but uh, what was on the table, what the governor was proposing originally would have been far more of a rollback. It would have given that, um, that infamous dangerousness standard that uh, many of us don't want to touch. Would It would have put that in place for every crime. And, and in some ways, that would have been worse than what was in place over a year ago. Um, and so we successfully beat that back. We ended up expanding the list of charges that are bail eligible um, in the greater scheme of things, given the power the governor has over the budget process, given that the governor was threatening uh, to shut down the Department of Health uh, in the middle of a pandemic if we couldn't get a budget done on time, 
Uh, I think it was the best outcome we could have reasonably expected to achieve, uh, which was a fairly modest change uh, in the laws, and now hopefully just let them function the way they were intended. Senator Michael Janaris of Queens, the Senate Deputy Majority Leader, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Be safe. Thanks a lot. Be well. You as well. So that was Mike Janaris of Queens and uh, discussing what Albany is considering doing to further shield New Yorkers from some of the economic impacts uh, of the COVID-19 crisis and also discussing some of the other business that occurred even in the midst of this crisis around the state budget and especially the bail laws. 